uh, I've been downgraded on my plants. So I don't have the the fancy kind of intro no anymore. Jingle? Oh, <laughs> yeah. Apparently the uh, the cycling uh, podcast business is doesn't you know generate a huge amount of revenue. Um, we're currently spending at uh, zero dollars. So um, <laughs> actually negative dollars, but let's not get into that. I, um, your shirt will come, Nick, but just not right now. Um, yeah. So. Uh, Nick's here to talk about, uh, we're going to do a Tour de France retrospective. There's still one day left in the tour, but it's it's basically all wrapped up. Uh, we want to kind of talk about from the betting angle, respectively, what went well, what went poorly, uh, what we're going to improve upon for next Tour de France, maybe next Grand Tours. But, you know, we can talk about the difference there. It's actually pretty interesting from our angle. Uh, first, we have a question for Nick, though, which is, did you watch any of Tour de France? No, I, I caught a few snippets here and there at pubs, random spots in the UK, because it seemed to be on, on a lot of the televisions at sports bars and stuff here. So um, caught a bit kind of like through that. Didn't watch too much uh, intentionally, though. So definitely would love some sort of high level kind of like recap, like what happened? What, what did you find interesting, either from the cycling perspective or the betting perspective? Yeah, for sure. Uh, I have a question. I have a follow up question, though. Given that you're in the UK and I'm in Canada, um, how like was it beside like what was the status? Are you, you like it's most like out of the ten screens at the pub? Was it like seven, eight soccer <laughs> and like one cycling and one pool and dice throwing? <laughs> I'd say like if there was like a football match on, the football match would get prime time. But then I'd say like cycling was was second after that, and just kind of like in random spots too, just like in shot like the shopkeeper would have it on just for him to kind of be watching in the shop as he's, as he's selling stuff or whatever. So a lot of, yeah, a lot of screen time overall in the UK. Very cool. Very cool. Apparently this podcast is uh number three in Slovenia in sports. Uh, so shout out to our Slovenian fans. I don't know how much I trust that uh, data point, but uh, I got a, a message to my you know, business account on that. So maybe we're actually uh, having some impact. Um, also, before we dig in a little bit deeper on the tour and I give you a, a recap, we launched the book for the, you know, Cycling Explained. Uh, there's going to be links in the show description. You can also search it up on Amazon as in the ultimate guide to cycling. Uh, it, I think there's a subtitle there, uh, enjoying the, the spectator's experience, something along that lines. I should probably do a better job at marketing my own book, but... Uh, we'll get to that in in future episodes as well. Uh, with respect to the yeah, thanks. Um, with respect to the Tour de France, it has been a great addition. Honestly, I think there was two sleeper stages. So you got twenty one stages, right? Um, the last one is tomorrow, but there was only two that were really like, wow, we're gonna like sleep on the bike basically, mm. and then mm. race at the end. Otherwise. It was raced all out super hard. That's all we heard from the riders was, man, this is hard. Every day was hard. And it's no longer, there was no easy days. This is modern cycling. Like these guys can take in the nutrition. They can race hard each and every day. And it just made it for a super entertaining uh, racing. So what we would do, would we be, the best part is like the breakaway formation was so difficult. So, right, mm. like I think we talked about how, you have at the start of the stage an interesting portion where these riders are attempting to form a breakaway from the main peloton. 
And that would last usually, we're talking about on average, that would last about an hour and a half, just trying oh. to form this breakaway. Uh, so we're talking 70Ks maybe of mm -hmm. just like some riders are in, some riders are out, you know, who are they going to let in? Who are they not going to let in? It was just amazing to watch because it's fun because it's like, you know, these guys are like marking attacks, they're not marking attacks, whatever, what have you. Um, and then even then, once the breakaway formed, you're now looking at maybe 100K left in the stage. So you're left in mm. maybe 40K where there's a bit of a, you know, a sleep uh, where, you know, you can there's not much change but then you might have a, a final climb or something or someone mm. wants to kick off or the peloton wants to catch up to the ones here the, the next six the last 60k is super interesting as well so you're really left with just like 40k you know, well you left with maybe an hour that's like not super interesting but like uh of four and a half hours every day you're left with like three and a half hours of excitement that's a really good um uh, and then with respect to overall, you know, we'll talk about it. So there's three main things, right? What are the three main jerseys are, Nick? What are they? Uh, the Kia Mountain. Yeah, you got it. That's, that's one. It's Polka Dot. Um, so just like overall, the yellow, like overall leader. Yeah, you nailed it. Nice job. And then like get the last point, one. point leader. Yeah, oh, you got nice. it. Well Game done. You are learning. You should just, you should be waving that flag to get the riders off the start line. Uh, you know your stuff. So uh, overall, it was uh, stayed close until stage 17, honestly. I think it was stage 17. You know, people might shoot me some hate messages, but I got the stage wrong by one day. But anyway, it was it was a time trial. So uh, Pogacar took, let me give you a brief overview. Pogacar took... Um, was it him? Anyway, it doesn't really matter. Anyway, Vingegaard looked really hot in one stage. I think it was stage five uh, out of the gate. He took like a minute on Pogacar and they were like, oh man, Vingegaard's too strong. He's going to run away with his tour. Uh, next thing you know, the next day, Pogacar comes back, takes 50 seconds. They're close again. They're within 10 seconds. Stays like that, kind of back and forth over the next 10 days, like a little bit here, a little bit there, some bonus seconds. Uh, overall, and so it stayed really close, and they were like fighting back and forth, what have you. Um, and it looked like Pogatra might be ahead going to this time trial, like if because Pogatra usually has a slightly better time trial than Vingegaard, but Vingegaard just like blew something out of the water. Like it was like I'm I'm not naive. I think like you know the, the sport's a lot cleaner than it was. Um, but, you know, the, the chatter was off just because there was a there was a rest day before uh, this time trial. And, um, you know, there's a lot of gray area in the sport about what you can do in the rest area. And so he just because his his usual numbers are like six point eight uh, kind of watts per kilogram on a climb. It's like a usually really hard, strong climb. He was like seven point six, which is just like well above average. Um, so he was like a minute and. 30 seconds ahead of Pogacar and Pogacar was a minute and 20 seconds ahead of the next competitor on a 37 minute time trial. So like his level was extreme. Um, and honestly, like I'm going to, you know, I don't watch cycling because I care uh, if, if they're all doping, then it's all good with me. I like, like it's, it's fun to watch no matter what. Um, but it was a very impressive time trial. Uh, so anyway, after that, uh, the next day, I, 
or the day after there was a really hard stage with you know big climbs and he just dropped Pogacar just said like he couldn't get food in him or something and uh, Vingegaard took another five minutes on him um and so that kind of sealed the deal but overall I mean up till stage 17 you're like who's gonna win who's like it was like that's a pretty exciting kind of thing um and today this morning Pagatra won the stage um so it was good kind of like nice thought like yay um uh, but overall it was super exciting there was a good competitor in Gaul who uh, who did really well in Tour de Suisse which was like kind of a month ago uh, but he showed off just how good a potential GC competitor he will be in the next year or so he just needs to work on his time trial um, that was kind of the 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 shine through um, of that and like uh, you know someone to watch kind of like a Derek G in the, the Giro um, I mean the Derek G of if you want to find the identical Derek G at this tour was uh, this man called Neelands um, uh, Chris Neelands he was insane he was in the break every day almost he crashed really bad though a few days ago and he was still in the break he just you know once you crash really bad you kind of lose some caliber um but it was fun to watch him and be in the break uh, every day he never won top three or anything so that was too bad but you know it's fun for those guys who are just like really um strong riders mm -hmm, uh sure. and then king of the mountains was won by chicone who uh you know you could probably see him kind of potentially winning king of the mountains um, going in, he was just like, uh, he's got a decent kick. He's a good climber, but it was kind of close, right? Cause it's always kind of close with King of the Mountains. If the main GC competitor, like a Vingegaard or Pogacar will win that, um, just because so many stages end in a mountain top finish. Gotcha, so gotcha. it's always kind of like, um, up for debate and, but Chicone did come away with the King of the Mountains Jersey today. It was confirmed. And that's good. Uh, there was a battle at the start by Palace, an American, but he kind of burnt out. Um, like he was wearing the jersey for a few days, but then he just couldn't keep it up uh, with, you know, um, when Dracone started going for it through the middle days. And then points wise, uh, Philipson was the number one sprinter going in, and he's also a decent climber. And he just, he, he won four stages. He was by far the best. Um, sprinter, uh, like it was just hard to beat. He had the best train, a lot, you know, a sprint train going in, kind of to the, the that leads them in, and it was just hard to beat. Not a not a lot of teams because the team has to balance. If they bring a GC team, right, they have to balance between how many will do they also bring a sprinter at the same time right because then you only have so many people for your lead out train for your sprinter compared to your domestiques for your gc contender and there's only eight people on the team and so um it becomes a little tricky right so philipson didn't have any gc competitor um contenders they would just focus on philipson with a sprint chain that worked very well um and so you know matthew vanderpool who's you know you might hear me bring up his name a lot because he's one of the big six he wins a lot of classics in the spring and he was a lead out man for philipson and overall philipson just looks super strong um he got i think um he he got a little like friend um i don't know how to 
frame this, but he, he got a little frowned upon two days ago because he kind of, his team, he tried to block one of these riders trying to make the breakaway. Basically, he like side-checked him um, because he, he wanted the stage to be a sprint stage, not a breakaway stage, mm-hmm. which means like he wanted it to go to the line so he could win in a sprint where he didn't want the breakaway to win. And so he was trying to like not let this guy go and try and reach the breakaway. And everyone was like, nah. Um, so, uh, I mean, in the, in the media and the society, everyone was kind of like, that was a bullying, bullying gotcha. tactic. And, um, uh, honestly, yeah, I, I don't think it looked super good, um, in term for him. So, uh, that's how that went, but overall, and then I think Mark Cavendish, the other big story was Mark Cavendish. He's, um, you know, you, you might here in the UK, he's won the exact same number of stages of the tour de France as Eddie Merckx, who's probably the most famous cyclist ever um and he's getting old like i think he's 38 uh and so he was trying to win one more stage this year uh but he almost made it he came second uh but then he broke his collarbone on stage eight. so um he might retire he might not it's still kind of up in the air so we'll see what what happens there um did you mention uh, mentioning teams but the teams came out of top yeah, team-wise, I mean, I think it's going to be Yumbo Visma who takes the team classification. We haven't looked on PCS today. We had a bet on UAE. I think UAE was second, and Bahrain, we also had a bet on him, was third. But, uh, man, we're just taking L's. I think that, that was the story of this tour that we kind of wanted to talk about was we took some L's. Like, we were 5X up on our base uh, bankroll um, before heading into this tour, and we're definitely not anymore. Uh, the, I think the main reason was the caliber of the riders is so high. I think if you had a thesis statement um, was that you couldn't count anyone out ever. Every single rider in the Tour de France Peloton could have won a stage. They were just like the, the elite A class of riders. So if you're talking about the Giro, uh, it's not the same caliber of riders. You have you can count some people out. You can count some teams out. And even even at the smaller races, you can count like half the peloton out. Um, and so that drastically reduces your risk uh, of someone else potentially winning. But we had so many fourths uh, and also uh, also overall, I don't think we'll bet King on the Mountain or points classification before starting because we've talked about this before, but it it, it messes with that 365's uh, like risk score tolerance. So it doesn't let you parlay uh, most stages when you have too many bets on like overall holistic gotcha. parts of the tour. Mm-hmm. And so most of the stages, there was too much... Um, overlap that they wouldn't let you parlay uh, just because we've talked to people in the in the industry and that's that's kind of how it goes and that's usually where we make a lot of our money to be honest is those three to four parlays that we can kind of pick out pretty easily so that kind of screwed us over from actually making money um so yeah you know at the end of the day you know we 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 were down uh, and I think it's good to, to take a retrospective and just think about why. And I, I think it is honestly just because, man, everyone wanted to win every single day. And there was just, you know, you could bet on the people who were probably going to make the break. But then you're making 
but the brakes were so big too. We're talking 15, 20 riders and you know, you could probably guess three or four of the riders. Like we had four bets on the riders, but then you have four bets against 16 other people who could win. Right. Yeah, yeah. And it's, uh, it was, it was hard. And then, um, yeah, and I, I we will call out because it's frustrating. We bet Mahorich almost we bet every single stage except the one stage he won. He he won. Oh, <laughs> it man. was so annoying. We were like, ah oh, man, he's like kind of short today. You know, we're not like, ah, uh, you know, we've already put down four bets. Like, uh, we bet him like seven times. Like, but man, he he goes ahead and wins, and we're just like, ah, oh, whatever. That's, that's, that's just how this two, that's just how this two is going. Uh, so consistency. But, you know, with respect to the sprinters, there was also some good sprinters who were kind of short. I mean, sorry, who were long um, and good value. And so we uh, did well on that. But again, well is not a win, right? So, well, we had some fourths and fifths from these sprinters who were like 151 or 81 or 101 or whatever, who were just like, why were they not shorter? But whatever. And um yeah and this really came fourth and fifth but again fourth and fifth doesn't mean money so i wish there was some sort of something like that and in terms of yeah i think we'll just uh we'll think about i think it's interesting to think about do what what sections do you want to put money down on kind of like i think some of the things that aren't worth putting money down on are like uh top 10 for these races like a top 10 finish um rider to win x number of stages uh kind of all that jazz um but we will you know we'll we'll think about it and we'll um write a little post about it and, and kind of we'll probably send it out as a first email so if people want to sign up on the site to the the newsletter we'll probably be sending out our first one shortly uh, just with respect to what we could have done better and moving forward, how we're going to approach things. But overall, I mean, like you, some of the reason why we do this is is because it's a whole bunch of fun. And uh, just like today, let's take today, for example, we did win some money on Gaul, who took a second, I think, maybe over Vingard, or at least a third. But it was, you kind of want... Um, there was this other rider, Pino, who he grew up in the area. He was retiring this year. He was he was in the breakaway, uh, and it looked like he was going to get caught. But it was fun to cheer for him. Uh, and then just because you know it would be nice if he won, it would be a nice story. Uh, and but then you also have fun cheering for the people behind because you have money on the people mm. behind. And so there's like you know that's kind of how we do our bet sometimes is kind of hedge with emotion as well. So um, that's also a good way of doing it, but it's also, yeah, I think it's a good way to uh, learn sometimes. So. One thing I want to circle back on, you mentioned um, because you had some tour long bets, there were some bets like for each stage that you weren't able to make. And I remember at the start when we kind of talked strategy, you mentioned like, other downsides to having tour long bets where it like kind of locks your money up and obviously it's lots of like dynamics that are happening throughout the tour so would you say this sort of like kind of like prevention of um, stage bets is another like reason why you should avoid doing tour long bets or not necessarily 
Yeah, I think there's multiple reasons that you just mentioned there. Like it locks your money up, and especially at uh, this level, there's just too much variance uh, in the Tour de France. So when I say level, I mean the Tour de France being the most elite level. Uh, we got some recommendations to put down some money mid tour on, and we thought about it like it was rational. Put down some money on Bahrain to win the team's classification because they're still pretty long, and they had no one else in the uh, GC contention. So that means they'd have riders in the break every day because they'd be mm-hmm. let in the break every day, right? Mm-hmm. Gotcha. If you don't have riders in the GC contention, then you'll be let in the break. And the team's classification is based on the top three riders per stage, their times, and you add them up every gotcha. day. Gotcha. Okay, cool. And so there, it made kind of sense that like, hey, they'll probably have two riders in the breakaway every day um but the problem what happened was the break was really never let to win most of the days because Mm. it was too close uh and everyone wanted to win and the caliber of the riders was so high that they could drag back the break and so being in the break every day didn't really matter um and and so i think it all kind of comes back to that core thesis of like wow when everyone is so good, mm-hmm. it really no one could predict what was going to happen. The, the announcers couldn't predict. Uh, you know, friends in the industry couldn't predict. No one could predict what was going to happen, and it made it exciting to watch. And so, we kind of happily lost the money that we lost. But again, it's like maybe you take a step back uh, when betting on the Tour de France. Um, it's also, it's also just there's so much more media attention uh, you lose the benefit of your knowledge um with respect to like the insider knowledge you have or etc like that uh, and there's just so much more mm, people betting and the odds are more in line with what like there's less variance in the odds um it's kind of like the NFL where you know, if someone sneezes on the sidelines, uh, you'll know about it. Uh, and the odds are not, you know, we've been listening to some other podcasts with respect to betting. And it's like the NHL has less media attention, less people like we're Canadians. We know all about it. But like if you're American, like you just don't care as much about the NHL as you do the NFL. And so the odds and the lines are, you know, can offer better value uh and in these smaller tours throughout the year for cycling you can get some really really good value but you're not going to get that value of the tour de france and you also lose there's there was so much more risk involved in this tour just because the caliber was so high so you know that media attention um everyone had so much more information it was just a really hard uh event to bet so overall you know good Yeah, I think that's that's a really good summary and kind of tied it back to like an idea we talked about before where like cycling betting pretty new and like pretty small betting pool. So as someone who's like really paying attention, you have like the information advantage because you could be more tuned in than like the betting house. But in the tour, it's kind of the opposite. Like everyone's paying attention, a lot more money, a lot more media and people really know what's going on. So, so you kind of lose that edge to an extent. So it's kind of like the opposite you'd expect. Like, oh man, the tour is happening. Like there's way more betting opportunities. So it's a better, op- like better odds of kind of making money, but it's kind of like a different game when it's at that, that level of caliber. So 
Yeah, exactly. Mm. And uh, so, you know, what we're happy is, you know, learned a lot uh, and there's still a lot of exciting racing coming up. You know, Tour de France Femme, which is the women's edition, starts tomorrow. We've, uh, we can kind of touch on that briefly, which is we've, uh, I mean, the two main people are really short, so we didn't really bet overall. I think we might put down a little bit of money overall, but it's, you know, Vollering and uh, Van Floten, who's, you know, going to be battling head to head. It's another one of those races where there's two top competitors. <laughs> kind of funny how it kind of spans across uh, all kind of sectors of, of racing. And, and then there's the tour there, the Wallonie, which is like a, a Belgium based tour. Um, that's going off, kicking off, and that's smaller. So hopefully, going to have some more luck there. But we'll see. Um, we're still kicking around and love watching the bike race and love love betting on it. We'll we'll keep pumping out content on our site and uh, offering odds and, and getting better at it and hopefully improving. I think one of the cool things that we're going to start doing is we're trying to generate a better uh, time trial score for people. So. PCS, which is Pro Cycling Stats, they offer stats on cycling. They kind of offer a score based on in, in certain categories on how well a rider does. But what we don't think they do is they don't think they like rate certain aspects of. They don't. Uh, so they just kind of like do it. They don't take into the year into account really. They also don't take into. So they give less points for for national races, which makes sense because like. A Canadian time trial, like if you win Canada's time trial, it's like not super good. Who who gives? But if if you win Belgium's time trial, yeah, that's super good. Just because like Bel- like cycling in Belgium is so so important, um, and the caliber of riders is so high, but they weight those equally, which is like silly. It's like uh, you should be giving someone who wins Belgium's time trial like a ton more. Uh, points or whatever in their little system so we we think i think we've talked about this before we you, you can really make some money on time trial if you do your research and 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 have an edge on that respect kind of find some people in the crowd who you, you might not think who actually do it really well and so we kind of want to first we want to generate a trend line with respect to like are they trending in the right direction um based on the year and also we want to give that weighting a little bit we want to change the weighting around a little bit and so we've been playing around with that um in terms of um that's where we're starting. Obviously, we would kind of want to build models around everything. So you want to build models around teams and who's riding for who and all that jazz. So pay attention to the space if you're interested in that. And we'll kind of promote that on the website. Um, but yeah, uh, that's kind that's of... I, I want to dig, dig into that second. I think that's an interesting idea. So the idea is like Betting House, they're also doing some modeling. They have these inputs. They kind of like come up with the result. Um, you know, the, the stats website you mentioned is doing the same thing, but like in theory, if you're kind of more tuned in and you can develop better models that are on average predicting, you mean more accurately than, than either of those parties, then that's like another edge you'd gain. So we're talking about hundred percent. Yeah. hundred percent long-term that's sort of like we're, we're in this thing for the long game. So we want to one day eventually just generate models that are extremely efficient and, and better than, um, on average, on average, again, mm-hmm. we're, we're aiming to win 55% of the bets. So on average, you know, we want it to be, um, give us that kind of edge and be able to, to, to make um, consistent returns overall in the long term. Um, I mean, it's just, it's, it's a little tricky uh, just in terms of scraping and, and all the drives and it's kind of pain in the ass to, uh, to be perfectly honest. Um, 
But yeah, I think there's some like really cool things and thought-provoking things we can dig into in another episode or maybe a further down the line in terms of uh, these models and, and where we can do that. But, um, you know, a lot of this stuff you can just to make your betting easier, right? Like you can just like look at a race and be like, okay, who's probably riding for the team? Like who's the GC rider? Like can that like just automatically show you on some dashboard? Um, and then for the time trial day, can it like just like automatically show you who, uh, you know, based on those that new score, who's who's some good bets, who's some good value? Yeah, yeah. Like if we can just do, do that automatically because like obviously there's some gut checking, but there's a lot of just like um, and then there's some things you forget, you know, like we all live our daily lives and sometimes you have these maxims that are good maxims that you live by with respect to betting, but some, some days you forget them. You're like, and then you're like, oh, yeah, I totally forgot. Like, you know, some days, like if someone's riding for the KOM jersey, they'll probably be too tired to actually win the stage because they need to win all these 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 kind of hills in between. Um, and then uh, they won't actually have any energy left, but then you bet them because you're like, oh yeah, they're really good at climbing hilly stages. Uh, <laughs> and then you're like, oh shit, uh, forgot um and so just to have that like taking out of the equation uh is something that we're really interested in in building a dashboard and so long term that's kind of what we want to do nice two more questions for you one is about the twitter france femme i don't know much about it is it the same length and the same like course essentially as the the twitter france or what's the what's the differences no it's a different course so i think it's nine stages could be eight Uh, and there's one time trial yeah i think on the second last day and they have one really big hill which is the thermalay um it was it's often in the men's tour de france but yeah completely different route um obviously they can't have as like they're introducing more hills for the women which is great and because it kind of develops the types of rider mm-hmm. but they typically have slightly smaller hills and slightly shorter courses you can read all about it in the book if you guys want. And yeah, there's it's it's a developing area, which is a lot of fun. And so there's a lot of value to be found. But again, you have to learn those riders. And so mm-hmm. figuring them out is a whole another ball game again. Um, and who's riding for who. But again, I think the women's is super exciting because there's so many potential riders who are just like not known quite yet. And then they have like a breakthrough. And they're just like, oh um and then they're known about but if you can figure out that that person who's not known about prior to them having that big day then you're in for a big one so uh, that's kind of fun and if people want to dive in there i'd recommend it because i think we should promote the women's sport more and honestly yeah. it's really interesting to be fair so it's like it's like a compact version of the men's cycling some days so and seems like another opportunity where it's like getting less media attention, probably less, you know what I mean? Um, like hyper-focused stats and specific stats, another opportunity where if someone's paying attention, they have an edge um, on like the, yes. the men's tour. 100%, you nailed it. And, cool. you know, less. it's always, I mean, there's not, there's not much more to say to that, but uh, it's also like negative in some respect because you might... Um, it's it's hard to get the information and mm-hmm. sometimes to be able to to do good bets and also like who's actually riding the race um it's just like 
it's harder just to get the information itself yeah. uh, to be perfectly honest so just because it's so uh, disparate and, mm-hmm. and, and there's a dearth so yeah and my last question uh, was about the book you mentioned. I want to give you the opportunity to do a little plug. Uh, so I want to say, like, what inspired you to write the book? And, like, who did you write it for? Like, who's, who do you think would, would benefit from it, from reading it? Yeah, 100%. Um, and so the book was written to kind of break down the boundaries of watching cycling we think it's a little gatekeepered at the moment by a bunch of people who kind of want to retain this like we think it's like chess it's it's tricky to understand and but once you kind of break in to watching it it's super super rewarding we we really really recommend it um but it's not obviously not everyone has time to watch cycling um and not everyone has time to you know learn all about it instantaneously but we hope that this guide is a good kind of way to break in. There's some really pretty diagrams that we, you know, if you get tired of reading my writing um, or our writing, and then, you know, you want to just look at pictures, there's a lot of pictures in the book. And we hope to have many editions. So this is the first edition, uh, but we're a big fan and believers of perfect being the enemy of the good. We think there's a lot of good content in there. And, you know, know, it's helpful for anyone who watches the races. There's a section on betting in it. But we're going to have a whole guide on betting that we'll be coming out with. Um, um, those will be discreet from this book itself. We hope to have the second edition out next spring. So if you guys want to wait around to, you know, slightly more polished version, then sure, you can definitely wait around for that. But, you know, there's a ton of chapters in there. Uh, we can kind of, um, you know, there's... Uh, talk about the Grand Tours, the all the races on the pro-level calendar, the World Tour-level calendar, uh, how the women's racing works, you know, mechanics around that. And then there's a whole section, which is probably the most interesting for people who are betting uh, with respect to variables in the race itself. Mm-hmm. So we're talking uh, road furniture, aerodynamics, team dynamics, descents, race organizers, how can they play into the race? Uh, how do they affect the outcome of the race? Freedom and leadership, altitude, rider type, sickness, uh, age, uh, living situation of the riders prior mm-hmm. to races. Uh, so, so many of these variables, there's just countless. Well, there's not countless. It seems to be like 25 in the book, but um, all these kind of affect the outcome of a race. And they're, you know, they could be interesting leverage points that you can think about prior to placing mm-hmm. a bet. Um, and so you can kind of read about them, how they play into the race, how they affect the race. And... Hopefully uh, that helps people um, enjoy the race, but also place better bets. And that's kind of our goal. Um, we want to make the, the the world of cycling more available than it is. Very cool. Yeah, sounds, sounds like we're making the, the, the sport more accessible to people, both interested in just enjoying it and also interested in betting. So, yeah, that's super cool. Yeah. Um, thanks, for the pl- thanks for allowing me to plug. It's available on Amazon. Uh, the title of the book, uh, I have it up now is the ultimate guide to modern cycling, decoding racing tactics and embracing the spectator's experience. Uh, it's currently discounted 35%. So if everyone wants to get on that and, you know, maybe purchase the book, leave a review. It doesn't have to be five stars. <laughs> it's not necessarily five stars for everyone, but, uh, we're going to try and improve it, um, in the second edition and also open to 
getting any feedback uh, on the book itself, you can send an email to our work account, uh, brent at procyclingbets.com. And yeah, that's it. Super cool. I'm excited to get my hands on a copy. Um, audiobook falling shortly, I hope. Oh, audiobook. You don't think I bought this nice mic for uh, just for these podcasts, do you, Nick? Uh, no, we'll, we'll definitely have, uh, we'll definitely uh, be reading this in an audiobook format. We'll also be doing a Kindle book format and potentially a hardcover, uh, but probably the hardcover will land on the second edition. And so, yeah, it was a lot of fun to write. Um, were, was not written by ChatGPT, it was written by us. Um, and so, <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's all good. Nice, man. Good stuff. All right. Thanks to, thanks to Nick as well for, you know, coming on here, talking to the two different friends of us and for everyone listening and who has listened thus far. Thanks. Uh, uh, I got some. We've got some good feedback on you know the way things are going, and also just like our our fan base is growing, and everyone seems to be involved, and that's kind of what we want. We want to bring positivity to the internet, and also positivity to cycling. So, cheers.